0: ETL Echo and friends present the Winter Wonderfix Collaboration, a series of festive one-shots and podfix. Against a Shore Winter, by Skidder. It is the 19th of August, and I'm struggling to accept the nature of things. As far as assignments go, it's not so bad. I don't even have to leave the country. The work is as it always is. Keep a sharp eye out for potential threats, and rarely interact with the target. It's better this way. I'm a weapon first, and a person third with nothing else of value in between. I am excellent at my job, finding solace in the expected silence. This unobtrusiveness that accompanies my presence makes it easier for my employers to accept the nature of my past transgressions. It is easier to view me as a shield between them and their anticipated dangers, to treat me as a disposable contingency plan, than to contend with what I've done and how it feels to know their lives are in my hands. Trust is only a burden when the loss of it holds weight. I've kept dozens of targets safe, A significant portion of them who would otherwise refuse to look me in the eye. And each assignment was as inconsequential as the last. I put little stock in their opinions of me, needing only to rely upon their fear of death to do my job successfully. This has been the nature of things for four years now. And I've come to peace with that a long time ago. And then you. And everything that comes after. It is the 25th of August, and I'm losing my patience. You've fought against every rule I've put in place and challenged every reason I've given for the methods of my work. I refer to my track record, to the agreement you made when you hired me. I hired a bodyguard, you say, not an overlord. You knew the regulations when you signed the contract. That was before I knew it was you. Who better to keep you safe than someone who knows all the ways in which a person would want you dead? And make no attempt to sugarcoat. You wouldn't appreciate it anyway. That's not comforting. I'm not here to comfort you. You look across, as you always do. I don't want you shadowing my every move. I've no interest in the complexities of your life, Granger. Just in prolonging it. In the end, you relent. But only because Potter guilts you into it. The bodyguard was his idea, after all. It is the 7th of September, and I am restless. We find ourselves at Askavan for the third time in as many weeks. When I took this assignment, Lyndon failed to underscore your obsession with this place. It's essential to the nature of my work, Malfoy. It's a security nightmare. You, as usual, don't care. I've come to realize that about you. For all your posturing about rights and dignity and the inherent value of all life, you put very little importance to your own. With you from the moment you leave your flat in the morning to the second you return every evening, you are almost deliberate in your efforts to ignore your personal safety. You march headfirst into every meeting with Rowan, your man on the inside. It is only by virtue of my thoroughness that the seedy alleyways and warehouses acting as your offices have already been swept and secured. You categorically refuse to meet on neutral ground, just as you are adamant that we visit truly the worst dregs visiting society has to offer. These Cretans watch you, glossy-eyed and half-feral, and you can't be bothered to give a fuck. I'm forced to play a more active role in your protection, something I sincerely detest. It's taken more than a few screaming matches to convince you to stop avoiding me when we venture into the dark. I lean heavily on Potter and the care you have for him. You accuse me of weak manipulation. As if you've ever been manipulatable in your entire life. Rigid at the core of you. It is a wonder the Dark Lord didn't drop dead just from the sheer force of your will. Where is Avery? You ask the guard that leads us through the labyrinthine halls of Azkaban. He's normally not this many levels down. For all the ways you are difficult, and they are legion, you are also exceedingly clever and perceptive. Traits that have no doubt been the driving force behind your continued existence. The guard hesitates. Quickly enough to understand my mistake, but not swift enough to rectify it. I realize that what I had initially judged to be the limp of an old injury is something far less innocuous. He produces a warped branch of hawthorn tree, imbued with a curse so dark I can practically taste it, from his pant leg, and moves to crack the blackened wood over his knee. The guard is fast, I'll give him that. But I'm a weapon first. And I am faster. Mel! Move! Without taking my eyes off the guard, I shove you behind me, forcing your body into the wall. The guard brings the branch down and I slice the air with precision. The hawthorn in my hand far more dangerous than that in his. The space between he and I ripples unnaturally, and a crackle of static echoes off the stone around us. In one moment, he is whole, a mind brimming with hate and memory. And the next, he is an abstract impression of a human being smeared on the ground. Red gore coats the stonework at our feet, a congealing pile of meat and blood that was once a person. I look to you, ensuring that you were still unharmed. There is a shadow over your features that sours my brief moment of victory. I am 16, and the Astronomy Tower is cold. And I am 26, and the hallway is colder. I was a monster then, and I am a monster now. It is the 15th of September, and I am trying to move on. Generally, when you save someone's life, there is a natural amount of gratitude that comes your way. It doesn't really do much for me personally. Whatever ego I once possessed died an undignified death at the bottom of a fire whiskey bottle. But it does help reaffirm that I am good at my job. You are not thankful. You are not anything positive at all. We keep going to Azkaban. The guard was working for the Seventh Sons, the cult you've been trying to expose. He was tasked with ending your life. And even if you don't care, and even if you hate it, your life is mine to protect. And I did the right thing. I've killed in the name of work and security before but this is the first time i felt like I've made a mistake. He had to die, I finally say, after a week of tense silence. We didn't speak much before the attack, but it was apparently enough to warrant notice when it stopped. Okay, you say, and do not look up from the notes you are reading. The next prisoner is on his way to our meeting room, and you are diligent in your preparedness. It is something to which I can relate. He was going to kill you. I know. It's my job to keep you safe, Granger. Finally, I have your attention. It is your job to keep me safe, yes. But that doesn't mean you had to kill someone. What the fuck else could it possibly mean? You know the dangers of this work. You knew what it meant when you hired me. There are fifteen hexes and curses I can think of that would have incapacitated him without ending his life. What if he had valuable information? I could have interrogated him. Don't act like that's what your problem is. You're upset because it's me that saved your life. I'm upset because you're saving my life without first considering what I would want. What limit I would set. Limit? Granger? I slam my hands down on the table between us. There is no limit. I will keep you safe and I will keep you alive. And I will do anything and everything necessary to ensure that go. The door opens. The shit-stain in human form enters. And the conversation is at an end. It is the 19th of September and I am cold. You'd be a lot warmer if you had a scarf, you say. Be quiet. I warn, as I look back out the window, making sure the alley we're scoping out is still empty. And put your notes away. You need to be ready to move. You're shivering, Malfoy. It's raining. There's a flash of movement from the far side of the alley. Come on, he's here. Wait. Just as we're about to leave, something warm and soft wraps itself around my neck. It's your scarf, in all its hideous marigold and maroon glory. My hands reach up of their own volition to rub the knitted fabric between my fingers, feeling the drag of the yarn against the calluses of my skin. Much better. There is a look of genuine satisfaction on your face as you say it. There is no time to ask you about it, nor is there time to properly consider the act itself. It's not until after, far later than I had anticipated remembering that I bring it up. I attempt to give it back, but you refuse. Keep it. It suits you. I look deliberately down at my all-black outfit. Your mental. All you do is grin, and I pretend that it doesn't affect me. It does. It is the 2nd of October, and I am drunk. You've had a break in your case. It is significant, invaluable to the end game you have in mind, and we are celebrating. I'm not your first, or even second, choice of company. But Potter is away on assignment, and I've come to find out that the weasel is fouling up someone else's bed. There are other people you love and like more than me, literally anyone else by my estimation, but none are so readily available. Of course, having spent over five weeks in your company, monitoring your work and shadowing your every waking moment, there is no one so as available as me. Are you happy? You ask. You're an emotional drunk, apparently. Not the weepy wailing type, thank the gods, but still too interested in Draco Malfoy the person for my comfort. Sure. You're lying. Okay. I don't want to play this game. I shouldn't even be drinking. I'm on the job. I am always, forever on the fucking job. You finish the rest of your wine, and it leaves your lips stained. A stark contrast against your two perfect teeth. The product of another of my sins. Fine, be that way. Excuse me for wanting to get to know you. I scoff. Why? I'm your bodyguard, Granger. That's it. I spend more time with you than I do anyone else. Nature of the beast, love. The wine is stronger than I'd anticipated. Probably Goblin made. Doesn't have to be. Can't we also be... I don't know. Friends? Acquaintances? You lean forward over the cluttered coffee table. Aren't you lonely? Isn't everyone? I settle back into my chair. Your proximity is too much to handle at that moment. That's the way of things. You'd be a lot less miserable if you accepted it. You lean away, staring out the window into the dark night. And I suppose that maybe you have. You killed someone for me. Grange, no one's ever done that before. It's not that big a deal. Firelight dances in the honey of your eyes, and I am drowning. It is, you insist. It is to me. I can never repay you that debt, but I'm going to try. It is the 20th of October, and I am filled with regret. I broke the first rule of my job, the most important one. I humanized you. I plucked you from your place as my employer and my charge, and settled you firmly into a far less professional role. One night of drinking married with weeks of forced interaction, and I'm a failure in a way that only a lonely man can be. You greet me with deliberate kindness now, as if the act of killing someone for you is supposed to weigh me down. It doesn't, but I'm weak enough to pretend otherwise if it means we continue to play this dangerous game. Your scarf lives around my neck, and we don't talk about it because there's nothing to talk about. I should quit. Find someone else to keep you safe. But I hate leaving things unfinished, and I spent enough of my life running away. I've nothing else to do anyway, so I might as well ruin myself in your company. It is the 31st of October, and I am watching you, like I always do. Potter is hosting a ridiculous Halloween party. Ostensibly, there is no good reason for me to be here. You are surrounded by friends and family, loved ones you've known half your life. The only danger to you is the hangover your shirt to suffer in the morning. And yet, I am here. Potter, of all people, insisted on it. Said he would feel better knowing there was someone keeping an eye on you. That the guest list is just big enough to warrant it. He loves you so much that I no longer question the loyalty you've always had for him. I think I'm jealous. But I do not know of what or of whom. Your friends are cordial. Polite as one usually is to a waiter or a house-elf. But do they see me as an object, it will make it easier if I have to kill one of them. I don't think I will, but Potter's concern fuels my own. You're dressed up as a cat. Potter and the others laugh in a way that tells me I'm missing specific context. I drink shitty muggle beer, one cup every hour and a half, and wait for it all to end. You look miserable. Potter comments, joining me against the far wall of his sprawling home. I always knew he was rich. I'm working. Harry laughs. Hermione was right. I can't help it. About what? You're much nicer now. She thinks I'm nice. He grins, says nothing, and walks away. It is the 2nd of November, and I am begging you to reconsider. This is a trap. Of course it is, you say matter-of-factly. That's why I'm going. Granger, I can't go with you. You know that, right? You tug at the ends of your curls. A habit I've come to use as a litmus test to the truth of your feelings on any given matter. I know. I've survived 26 years without a bodyguard, Malfoy. I survived the war. Not alone you didn't. You had the Idiot Brigade with you. Potter is a wanker, but at least he is a capable duelist. I try to keep the emotion out of my voice, but I fail miserably. You're walking into hell. I'll be fine. You won't, and I know this for the same reason that I know I cannot go with you. At the end of the war, when the dust had settled and evil had been defeated, I was put on trial for my crimes. Thanks to my age, but mostly Potter's testimony, I got off light. Probation for five years and a lifetime ban from ever interacting with known persons of interest. Up until now, it's been a non-issue. I have no social life, my mother is a recluse, and my father died in an Azkaban riot. The assignments I take are never in the same realm as my former life. Even yours was far enough outside the cause that I felt safe to take it. Your initial dossier spoke of a dangerous cult, but it wasn't a blood-purity thing, and there was no indication it had roots in Voldemort's teachings. Until now. Until the letter. Until Marcus fucking Flint and his stupid fucking invitation. Is there anything I can say to convince you otherwise? I plead. You stop your whirlwind of packing to look at me. There is something real, something tangible and terrifying in your eyes. Six people are dead, Draco. I cannot walk away from what be my last shot at justice. Take Potter. He's in Romania, hunting dark wizards. You know that. I do, and I hate it. I hate this. You'll be fully outside of my protection. Don't worry. I won't fire you. You smile as if levity is what the situation needs. I cannot handle your wanton disinterest in your own safety, and so I just glare at you until you look away. It is the 10th of November, and I am alone. You've been missing for two days. I've turned every conceivable corner of Wizarding Greater London inside out and have come up empty-handed. Lyndon has me on house arrest. Doesn't want me doing anything foolish. The only foolish thing I've done is let you go into that den of wolves alone. It is the 11th of November, and you are still gone. It is the 13th of November, and I am ending things. You've returned, a little bruised and a little bloodied, but with all limbs and organs intact. Even better, you've caught the bad guys and burned the colt down from the inside out. You are the triumphant hero once more, or perhaps as always. Hermione Granger saves the day. A walking headline in the making. Potter summons me from my home to tell me of your safe return. He brings me to your hospital room. You look so fragile lying there, barely clinging to the edges of sleep. I don't dare say a word. Don't dare disturb you. It's easier this way. Better. In the hallway, I tell Potter I'm done. What do you mean? My job. It's done. Granger got her bloke. The cult has been destroyed. Her work is finished. My services are no longer needed. Why are you telling me? Wait for her to wake. Here. I unwind your stupid fucking scarf from around my neck. Give this to her. Tell her. Tell her to remember to set her wards. Malfoy, I leave. Because it's what I'm best at. And I am a coward before I am a man. It is the first of December and it doesn't fucking matter. You make no attempt to contact me, and I have to remind myself that it's for the best. We were never friends. We were never anything at all. My foolish attachment to you should begin to wane any day now, and I am forcing myself to be okay with that. I take a new assignment. Some warlock on the Wizgamot is being stalked. I return to my former self, doing my job mechanically, detached and disinterested in the person I am sworn to protect. I kill a would-be assassin in the form of a warlock's jealous husband. It doesn't matter. The snow falls in earnest, and my neck is cold. It is the 7th of December, and I am caught completely unaware. The sun hangs low in the sky, diffused through the blanket of grey clouds. Snow coats the landscape, making everything impossibly white. I trudge up my front steps, once more lamenting my forgetfulness regarding apparition points, wanting for the solace of bed. You appear in a flash of red and gold at the edge of my lawn. I stop and stare at you the scarf around your neck, at the light in your eyes. You're avoiding me, is all you say. You're stalking me. No, I'm not. You're flustered and it's cute and I am so hopeless. I'm trying to respect your choice. And it's hard. What choice is that? Your decision to remove yourself from my life. I take a step towards you. Just one. The job was over, Granger. What else is there to do? You pull at your braid and stare critically at me, as if debating the merits of my identity with yourself. I'm having a Christmas party. People tend to do that around this time of the year. Will you come? I sigh. Ranger. It would mean a lot to me if you came. Somewhere along the through line of our no longer professional relationship, I've stopped being able to tell you no. Fine. And when you grin, I cannot help but grin back. Because it affects me, like it always has. It is the 15th of December, and I am standing in line. The floor of the small second-hand shop is filled to the brim with people. Every few seconds, someone bumps into me, and very few bother to apologize. In their defense, I wouldn't either, but it's the principle of the thing. My grip on your gift tightens, a lifeline to ground myself in the moment. I never cared for crowds, they make me anxious and uncomfortable but I am braving the worst of it because I am an idiot. The object in my hands feels too insignificant of a present, but I am bereft of other ideas and will be too busy working in the coming days to devote any more time to it. You've always been good-natured about things like this, however, and so I am going to lean upon your kindness once more. Is this a gift for your girlfriend? The lady running the register asks. I can't help but laugh at the idea, finding it both absurd and ever so slightly painful. No, she's just a friend. The lady gives me a knowing look, which only serves to annoy me further. Mm Mm-hmm. I refuse to engage with her for the rest of the transaction. But as I'm leaving, she calls out, Happy holidays! I'm sure she'll love it. And fuck if I don't hope that she's right. It is the 23rd of December, and I am wondering why I agreed to this. Just as at Potter's Halloween party, I find myself drifting to the edges of the room, defaulting to Lookout, even when it is no longer necessary. You flip between conversations, frazzled in your role as hostess. Your flat is almost too small to hold this many people, but there is earnest effort in every decoration. Occupying one whole corner is a tree, riddled with baubles and lights, a veritable mountain of gifts underneath. When no one is looking, I deposit my own, leaving it amidst the tokens of love from everyone else. Are you miserable? You ask me later, once you've made your rounds. You look miserable. Potter said the same thing to me at Halloween. So you've had two months to cheer up, then, is what it sounds like. You knock your shoulder into mine, attitude forcefully amenable. It's almost over anyway. I'm not sure what I was hoping would happen. What sudden change I thought would manifest in our not-friendship. But if the end draws near, then I've only served to disappoint myself. Perhaps I'll leave early. Avoid the crowds at the apparition point. No! You say, too quick to be casual. The party's almost over, but... But I was hoping that you'd consider staying... After, I mean, once everyone is gone. I've seen you every shade of angry. I've seen you irritated and frightened and, in a few lucky moments, properly happy. But I have never, not once, seen you nervous. It's jarring. Why? You look at the tree. At the assembled group of your loved ones. At the layer of frost that coats the windows. You look everywhere but at me. Can you just... Will you please stay? When the party's over... I want to talk to you about something, but it's... personal. It is my turn to be nervous. Are you okay? Did something happen? I'm fine, you insist, able to look at me now that I foolishly allowed emotion into my voice. I want to give you something. A gift, and... And it's better for we're alone. Before I can even begin to process the implications of that, you were pulled away, and I'm stuck staring, mouth slightly agape, at the space you once occupied. Time drags on. I make small talk with a few people I know. Most of your social circle is composed of those I officiously bullied in school, so it is difficult to find a friendly face. I apologized to you toward the beginning of our contract, as well as to Potter on the night of his party. It appears that word regarding my penchant for regret has made rounds because there is less general hostility aimed at me. Oliver Wood of all fucking people spends nearly thirty minutes avidly discussing the finer points of Quidditch with me. Ginny Weasley even joins in. It is surreal. And though I am wholly out of my element, it does help to occupy my otherwise anxious thoughts. Eventually, the crowd's thin. You begin ushering people politely out until just a select few remain. Potter says his goodbyes, offering wishes of good holidays to us all. He even manages to toss a look my way that is far too knowing for my liking. Weasley lingers for a bit, and you have a mildly tense conversation with him in the kitchen. It is obviously about me, but I don't dwell on it. There's no point. And then the door closes, and we are alone. I'm sorry, you say immediately. It wasn't really so bad. No one tried to hex my bollocks off, so I'd say it was rather a successful night all around. I meant... I'm sorry for the way things ended. Back in November. Oh. You rush over and stand just too close for comfort. But I am incapable of moving away. I should have listened to you about Flint's invitation. I knew it was a trap, but... I was arrogant. I thought I'd outsmarted them. Well, you're not the one rotting away in Azkaban right now, so... I say, unsure of how it is you want me to respond. I knew you'd be fine. But I almost wasn't. And I only survived because of you. You were plenty capable of... I missed you. And all I could think about was how stupid it was that I did. You'd never miss me. I was just a client. When I go to protest, you throw your hands up. And it's fine, I know that, but But we spent so much time together, and I never really learned to appreciate how much you meant to me, until you were gone. The job was done, I reiterate weakly. I'd served my purpose. You fidget, still properly nervous. When I got back, all I thought about was how excited I was to see you, how annoying you'd be about being right, how relieved, and... And then you gave my scoff to Harry while I was asleep, and left without saying goodbye. I've made my argument enough times that, at this point, it is unnecessary to repeat, so I say nothing at all. You didn't even give me the chance to tell you. You were just... gone. I realised that I didn't know anything practical about you. I didn't know where you lived or where you worked. Harry said you referred to him through Roberts, and that he had no clue how to reach you. You don't have a phone because the wizarding world is frustratingly archaic. I was at a loss, Granger. So I asked Pansy. She still doesn't care for me, I don't think, but never was a good buffer. And she gave me your address. Except you are never home, did you know that? Pinning you down was impossible, Granger. I didn't want to write a letter, it felt too impersonal. We've gone through something together and... I grab your shoulders and shake you just a little. Granger. What? You said I never gave you the chance to tell me. So tell me. Oh. You smile, and I think about how lovely you look in the twinkling Christmas lights. I love you. It is the 25th of December, and I am in love. With frenzied hands, you rip open the present I got you. It's a scarf, because of course it's a fucking scarf. You throw your head back, laughing like a loon. Before I can ask, you shove a similarly sized gift into my hands. It's just as worn as I remember the marigold having faded to a pale yellow since the first time I put it on. The yarn catches against the sleeve of my pajamas, and it smells like you. It's yours, you finish. It has been for months. I wrap the scarf around your neck and pull you in, laughing as we collide. Thank you for listening to Winter Wonderfix. If you'd like to stay up to date for other chapters and stories from me, tail Echo, You can follow us on TikTok, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Spotify at etl.echo.audiobooks. ETL Echo. Echoing tales of enemies to lovers.